Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing writers Mark Russell and Bryce Ingman and artist Peter Krause. They are the creative team of My Bad. It is a five-part limited series from Ahoy Comics. The first two issues are at your local comic book shops. The third issue will be out on January 12, 2022. Mark, Bryce, and Peter, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing fine. Doing great. Uh, enjoying the holidays and uh, happy to talk to you about My Bad. I'm a bit jet lagged. Just got in this morning back from Maui, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm busy at the end of the year, but uh, it's a good problem to have. Okay. All right. I'm just going to go over just a short history of your guys' work. So, you know, Mark, you know, um, a lot of readers know your work from, you know, you've written the Flintstones. Fantastic Four Life Story, two volumes of Second Coming from Ahoy Comics, and, in, and of course, you know, the current um, series of My Bad. Um, and in 2022, you know, you're going to be writing The Wrong Earth, Fame and Fortune number one, that's also going to be coming out from Ahoy Comics. Now, Bryce, um, you are an actor, director, writer. And Bryce, correct me if I'm wrong, you have contributed works to um, Ahoy Comics such as The Wrong Earth, number two. You've also contributed some stories in Edgar Allan Poe's Sniffer of Terror. Now, what I noticed with yours is that, is that it, it seems like your, in, your works have appeared like in always issues number four. <laughs> I, that is true. I, I tend to be in issue number four of the Edgar Allan Poe uh, seasons. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I, I don't think it's by design. It's just... Some weird neurological <laughs> thing with the universe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is too, because I know you had an issue um, number four in 2019, 2020, and next year in 2022. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, I, I, I refuse to work in any comics that are not issue number four. Okay. <laughs> and also, and you have also done, um, and you also worked on, you contributed to, um, Killing Red Son Sonia, correct? Yeah. Yes. Mark and I wrote Killing Red Sonia together and uh, another Red Sonia story over at Dynamite. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's coming out in uh, the Killing Red Sonia is coming out in a trade uh, in January. Oh, okay. it, it ties into the main Red Sonia title that I was writing at the time. So it is like part of that story arc. Um, the, the Red Sonia. Um, Sorry, I got a cat. cat That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> the, the Red Sonia Scorched Earth uh, storyline. Okay. Wait a minute. So, Mark, your cat. Now, I heard in. Oh, I shouldn't say anything about the. I was going to spoil the Matrix resurrection thing. I better. Watch <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, Mark, I'm going to ask, what's your cat's name, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Willow. Wow. And she also makes an appearance in my bed. <laughs> uh, Bryce wrote her in as like Emperor King's cat in the series, so she's, oh, okay. she's, she's now famous. She doesn't know, but she's she's a famous comic book cat now. We've been trying to get her to sign some books, but it's been yeah. difficult. <laughs> Send me more photo reference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will. <laughs> and Peter, you know, you have worked on Power of Shazam, Daredevil, Road Warrior, Irredeemable, and Insufferable. Um, now, guys, did I miss anything, or do you guys want to promote anything right now? That well, I just want to say that Irredeemable is one of the best superhero comics ever made. It's like absolutely, absolutely one of my top mm -hmm. top favorite superhero comics of all time. Well, Mark Wade had a lot to do with that, so uh, yeah. Well, you did too. I, I was happy. I was happy. You two to made work. a great team. Well, thank you very much, Mark. That's that's very sweet. So uh, that was. That was a lot of fun to do. I'll bet. No, it's absolutely true. It's it's a great book, and mm -hmm. your your work looks awesome in it. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's uh, <laughs> very appreciative. And that was the last time that I uh, worked in the old style. Now everything I do is digital. So. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Now, before we begin the interview, I want to give a big shout out to Hannah Behedry of Superfan Promotions. Um, Hannah, thank you very much for setting up this interview. And, you know, thank you for the advanced copies. Again, Hannah, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask, do you guys want to add anything to that? I love, I love what Hannah's done for Ahoy. She promotes her work relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Her and David Hyde at Superfan Promotions. And yeah, we're, we're, we're really happy to have them on our team. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice to work with them. It's um, having worked in, you know, comics for as long as I have, it's, it's great to have um, a team like that. That's really promoting the book to get out there. So people are aware of it. Mm -hmm. And especially in the, you know, the way the landscape is now, Um, there's so many choices out there. We're very appreciative of people when they do pick up our books. So um, yeah. Shout out to them. It's, it's wonderful. Now, okay. So um, may I ask you guys and anyone, can, whoever wants to start off first, where can listeners follow you guys on social media? Uh, Twitter, uh, at Bryce Engman. Uh, same as Instagram, Bryce Engman, Instagram. I'm at Mandrus, M-A-N-R-U-S-S, on both Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Peter G. Krause mm-hmm. on Twitter, and I refuse to have anything to do with Facebook and, or Instagram. So that's the only place you're going to find me. <laughs> it's actually a, a solid choice. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I'm just going to just ask a couple questions about your, or, your origin stories. Like, you know, where did you guys grow up? And what comics did you, like, what were, you, what were the comics you guys read when you are read read when you guys were growing up <laughs> well i didn't read a lot of comics growing up I, I was mostly a mad magazine guy but most of the comics i did end up reading uh were ones that bryce gave me bryce was the huge comic fan and he turned me on to like things like v for vendetta or martha mm-hmm. washington goes to war mm-hmm. uh sandman so uh he was probably my, my biggest influence in terms of what what comics i read and, and, mm-hmm. and still enjoy yeah mark and i both grew up in uh Eugene, Oregon, and, and met in school there. Uh, and I've been reading comics as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. My mother says that we didn't have enough money for toys and stuff a lot when I was a kid. So if she wanted to get me something, a 15 cent or 20 cent comic book, mm-hmm. dating myself a little bit, but uh, <laughs> was what, what she could afford. Yeah. And um, so I started out with like the Richie Rich and Casper the Ghost and stuff and quickly moved into Marvel and DC and uh, and was always obsessed with the Sunday comics and mm-hmm. Peanuts and uh, and and um, yeah, just it's been a part of my life my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I, I, I think I'm a healthier with comic books than I was when I was a kid. I was fairly obsessed as a young person about, about comic books. <laughs> It was like the number one thing that I cared about. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for me, uh, you know, I was, when I was small, I mean, well, first of all, I love to draw. Ever since I was little, my folks have uh, pictures of me curled up on the couch. I'm, you know, the oldest of five kids. And so, um, you know, I was used to being by myself. Um, drawing with the old um, magic slates, and now I'm really dating myself. I don't oh know how many God, people yes. remember those. Um, so, uh, Peanuts mm-hmm. was kind of my introduction to, um, you know, sequential art storytelling. Uh, I drew those Peanuts characters over and over and over again. Um, and uh, I remember 12 cent comics, Bryce. So I'm going to date myself even a little bit more than, than you. I'd get, a, I'd get a quarter for allowance and I could buy two comics and have a penny left over for a piece of gum. So uh, Damn. We, we, actually had, we actually had a corner drugstore that had spinner rack. So I would, it was definitely that kind of idyllic uh, introduction to uh, American comic books. Um, and uh, the first title is that I remember buying on kind of a regular basis, again, dating myself with world's finest. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, man, I can get Batman and Superman <laughs> in the same comic. I mean, what can be better than that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, later it was, um, you know, Marvel books, primarily Daredevil. I've always been a huge Daredevil fan. Mm-hmm. And so getting to draw that was 
huge. And then my brother would buy the books that, you know, I didn't follow regularly, uh, like Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think he, he would buy Hulk from, for his Marvel comic. So, uh, um, and later, uh, by the time I was in third grade, I had a group of guys that, again, it seems like this kind of uh, idyllic kind of uh, existence as far as comics go. We would go to each other's house, draw the characters, trade comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it was it was a big, big part of my growing up. Now, Mark, I'm going to go back. I'm going to... I- I, I know there's going to be purists out there, but for me, I don't care. Mad Magazine was a comic book. I don't care. It's, you know. Absolutely. full of comics. Yeah. What, what else would it be? You know, it was, you know, um, because I used to read Mad Magazine. I loved it. I loved yeah. it when they did the parodies of movies, you know. Um, that was my first sort of got to read every month comic book was mm-hmm. Mad Magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the I was strangely, I was strangely put off by Alfred E. Newman, and <laughs> I, I, I don't know, something about him, it creeped me out. So I always read Cracked. <laughs> I read the, I read the cheap imitation. I think wow. only because of Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> wow. Try, try not to spread that news. <laughs> Sorry. Breaking news. <laughs> All right. So I'm, um, yeah. Um. I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, just jump right into um, my bad. So, what is the and anyone can jump in, you know. Um, what is the premise of my bad? <laughs> That's hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's maybe easier for me to just say where it started from yeah. was just this idea of this character of Emperor King. Yeah, catching the wrong superhero in a trap, <laughs> and it's kind of grown out of that. <laughs> and it keeps for growing. So, yeah, for my part, it's become kind of like well, like I originally pitched the idea uh, of a uh, superhero being sent a salad shooter uh, for their birthday yes. uh, as a Batman comic when they were doing the the the, the Batman Catwoman marriage. I pitched it to DC as, uh, as like, what if they got a wedding present from the Joker and it was like a salad shooter and, uh, and then it just, just tweaked Bruce Wayne's mind. Cause then yeah. he's like, well, does this mean the Joker knows my true identity? And he's yeah, stressing yeah. out over getting a salad shooter from the Joker. And I, I think the response I got from DC was not in a million years. So <laughs> in a way that was kind of my inspiration behind what I put into my half of my dad was like all my, not in a million years responses uh like villains that that other companies would never let me use uh you know or or that storyline just sort of like became like like the 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 file that i drew upon to write my my half of my bad (laughs) i'm sorry what were you gonna say i was just gonna say from artist's perspective i mean i mean this was originally when we when i got approached on my end was going to be a backup um -hmm. You know, it uh, wasn't going to be a all-encompassing universe. So I thought, oh, this is a cute little idea here for you know a backup story. <laughs> I, in some ways, I like the uh, um, modesty of it, but uh, it's grown into this monster. So, <laughs> yeah, originally it was going to be a backup feature in Second Coming. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, you know, as Bryce was writing, it just became clear this is like exists in its own universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was, it was, it seemed really liberating to me that this is a comic book universe uh, that exists in its own sort of purgatory. Like, where all the characters who could never find a home in the other comic book universe sort of like wind up. And I thought, this is like, he's really on to something here. So we, we, we turned it into its own series mm-hmm. instead. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a spoof in some ways, but it's it's a very loving celebration of these tropes, I would say, more than anything. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking at things, you know, from a little bit left of center, mm-hmm. um, things that we know so well as comic book fans and superhero mm-hmm. fans, and kind of trying to see, you know, what, what if we just took a different angle on this? Mm-hmm. Um, but like Mark said, it, it's a lot of fun and very liberating. <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. I'm, I'm oh. because I've read the first two issues. And 
It's meant to make you laugh. I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, okay. Actually, uh, I'm going off the cuff here, Mark. So, uh, first off, because you, you, you said you pitched the idea to DC about what if the Joker sent Bruce Wayne a uh, salad maker. Um, how, did, how did you – and the chandelier is obviously based on – Batman, how did you how did you come up with the chandelier? Why not? I don't know something. Well, one else. thing that's always kind of struck me it was a little weird about the whole Batman conceit uh-huh. is that it's he's this guy, this billionaire with all this access to military grade technology that no one else has, and, and no one thinks to put it together that oh, it must be the guy who owns the military <laughs> technology company. So I wanted to sort of push that envelope a little uh, and, and say, well, what if this guy just like was the heir to like this lamp fortune and yet all of his accessories and his name and everything were all sort of lamp based. Yes. And nobody could figure out that it's the heir to the lamp fortune who's running around in, as a giant lamp mm-hmm. you know, beating people up. And he's got, you know, the, the Lamborghini. <laughs> who, else, who else would want or be able to afford a Lamborghini? <laughs> And because um, in my notes I have, I love it from the first issue where the chandeliers, um, you know, he, I, I can't even remember his um, secret identity, but he's walking in through his, like his light bulb factory, or, you know, and, and then some guy goes, Hey boss, you know, anyone ever tell you, you sound like the chandelier. <laughs> yeah. It would be such a, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, that to, to imagine, especially in this day and age, that anybody would be able to keep that secret. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, Peter, I'm going to ask you. Uh, sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff. I, I know I sent you guys questions, but I'm kind of going off the cuff. But so, Peter, um, how did you come up with the design of the chandelier? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, I want to say, you know, my approach to all this, this wackiness, and for the most part, this is the way I approach it. Although. Uh, we get maybe a little goofier in the the art style in the last issue, which I have to finish, by the way. But um, uh, my my, you know, we've got this incredible, crazy stuff that's going on, and I feel like I'm the straight man. I I think playing against the um, the goofiness of it, and just having a, you know a straight, you know, the way I draw, almost a Kurt Swan type. Uh, approach to um uh-huh. to the, all the weirdness mm-hmm. i think really plays to the strength of you know bringing this forward um the chandelier actually the original design was um he didn't have his face covered with the uh the pendants mm-hmm. um we just had like a little lamp up on top i think it was bryce who said you know everyone said oh yeah that looks really really good and everything but i think bryce had the idea about um well what if we covered his face how is that good or bad, and Tom Pyre, you know, our uh, editor-in-chief uh, shot back, well, you know, there's, um, it, conveying emotions and that sort of thing can be kind of hard, but I said, man, that's really an interesting idea, so we did a redraw where the, you know, the design that we know of now, and our colorist, Kelly Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. and we keep her involved in all this stuff, we don't always hear from her, but all of a sudden she just shot back, that's cool. And I go, okay, well, I'm not going to argue with Kelly. We'll, we'll go ahead with that design. So, uh, um, you know, I, I, also the descriptions in there was that, um, you know, he had some sort of armor mm-hmm. to protect himself. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily the, he might, I'm sure he's fit, but he's not necessarily the super buff, yeah. overly muscular kind of Batman that we know now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all those things enter into it. it it's been really fun, very liberating to mm-hmm. play with all this goofiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're involved in creating characters, you're not hamstrung by things that have gone before. You're not saying if I'm drawing Daredevil per se, that's, that's well, how would Gene Colan do this? Or how would David Mazzucchelli do this? And how do I measure up to that? Mm-hmm. Here you're, you know, doing it from the get-go and I say, you know, along with uh, Mark and Bryce. These are my characters. This mm-hmm. is the way it's going to be. And uh, yeah, it, it, like I said, very liberating. Mm-hmm. And Peter's instinct of like being the straight man and, and playing this is 
artistically as a, as a serious superhero comic is is dead on i think it makes it ironically funnier uh one thing i hate is when you know artists try to like step on a, like a funny lawn by having the characters sort of mugging and yes you know, it ruins the line mm -hmm. uh so it was like one thing that peter really instinctively got right from the beginning is that the humor is in large part due to the fact that these characters take themselves very seriously yes. the artwork yeah. reflects absolutely uh-huh <laughs> so um i'm sorry so um bryce um i'm sorry i know we lost connection you came back in i i'm yeah. i'm gonna try to bring you up to speed um like Thanks. now correct me if i'm wrong mark and russell but you know like mark said that peter's artwork in the book works because it's you he wants to make it try to make it serious in this in the funny story do you want to yes. add anything to that yeah that that that's kind of what I meant by it's not entirely a spoof because we're taking these characters seriously on a certain level yes mm -hmm. and treating them with respect I think on a, on a certain level even though they're they're all messed up individuals with um, <laughs> with issues <laughs> I think is a nice way to say it um, but you know there's it's it's not meant to just mock or laugh at these mm -hmm. characters and I think that yeah Peter's got the perfect uh, the perfect ear for that essentially you know he's he gives us characters that look like real human beings but kind of act like asses and that's what we need <laughs> it should be a tagline for the comic <laughs> like humans act like asses. A... <laughs> i like it <laughs> i'm gonna ask um so um how did you guys come up with these like the accelerator how did you guys come up with that and anyone can answer all three of you guys can answer and you know or man the accelerator the accelerator is is uh, he needed to exist because emperor king needed someone who he cannot defeat who tortures him by foiling every one of his plans mm -hmm. and essentially drives him a little bit crazy to the point where he builds a torture trap with 16 stages of torture it's not a healthy thing to do <laughs> um, but as the book reveals throughout the issues he's had a long history of being humiliated publicly by the accelerator and so the, so the accelerator needed to exist so you know just playing with different comic book tropes the alien superhero lives on earth the super speedster superhero you know yeah. kind of mix and match um, but what I love about the accelerator is is that he's just so unashamed of his own commercialism, of his own uh, self-promotion. Mm -hmm. And um, he's not a, a lovable superhero. So it, it, it's, it's an, I think it's a nice counterpoint to Emperor King's um, uh, ambitions as a supervillain. Mm -hmm. okay, in, um, in my half of the story, the, the Accelerator's role is he's like this sort of superhero that's kind of like made it and is like sort of coasting on his on his reputation and chandelier like kind of hates him because he is like what he personally wants for himself mm -hmm. this this guy who's like got all you know a million social followers on social media and you know owns his own line of fried chicken franchises and is loved in a sort of like network sitcom way that Chandelier is not. Mm -hmm. Chandelier is a guy who's just sort of like forcing himself upon the public consciousness by virtue of, you know, all the money he's able to throw into his hobby. The Accelerator sells himself very well. And as you're going to find out in the story, I mean, it does resonate with the public in, in our comic books. So, um, you know, for, you know, whatever insights that Mark has there, it's, it's like, he has been successful in selling himself and uh, and gaining a certain amount of maybe superficial affection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, Accelerator has achieved the status, uh, the the sort of social status that the chandelier wants for himself. <laughs> and he's an alien, so that's I think rubs the human characters, uh, you know, a, a little bit <laughs> wrong. This guy's not even from around here. <laughs> And how dare he open up a, a successful chicken stand? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and he mar and the accelerator's wife. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is a movie star, correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, a lot to be absolutely. a lot to be jealous of. <laughs> his Earth wife. His Earth wife. Yes, yeah. his Earth wife. Whereas the chandelier has 
he go he goes by he he fights crime at night he really yeah. doesn't have a social life you know <laughs> no his, his his true love is crime yes <laughs> um let's see um how did you guys come up with Manchild? um i think i came up with Manchild just because one i wanted a different type of superhero represented mm-hmm. so i gravitated towards a hulk like superhero yes. but also it, it's sort of like what i think the um what the chandelier is kind of about is uh, a lot of ways sort of toxic masculinity like he's this guy who thinks he's the best at everything mm-hmm. and so i wanted the man a, a character who was sort of like also somebody who's sort of recovering from that man child seemed like a guy who used to be like that himself and they used to sort of bond over their sort of like you know petty egos and now like man child's gone to therapy and he's sort of grown up a little bit, and uh, and 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 so he's like the other side. He's the downward slope of that toxic hill. Uh, now I have a question. Um, it's off the cuff because Manchild did was Manchild kind of sort of based off of David Spade? I'm just asking because when I that's, looked at it, that's a Peter Krause question. Okay, <laughs> because I was kind of going. He looks short, blonde, the hair. Kind of. So, Peter? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, David Spade, I mean, I, I'd love to uh, say that that was the inspiration. You know, I, I remember a Hulk comic, and I, I don't know who the artist was, and um, it had a couple of panels of um, Bruce Banner in it, and um, when he wasn't Hulk, and I, he must have made, just had made the change. Um, because he was bare chested and, uh, you know, he had a body that I would kill for. This is Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I understand that from, you know, from, you know, a comic book perspective, you're, you know, you're drawing in tight deadlines and you've got a kind of, uh, you know, base anatomy that you, you fall back on a lot. And, and so when they presented me the opportunity to do the, uh, uh, man child character, I said, when he is not in his mad state, he is going to be small and super skinny and with a big head. And, um, you know, the, the scene where we have the first um, kind of meeting between uh, Winthrop, our chandelier yes. uh, alter ego, and uh, Manchild, and they hug. I wanted that to be, there's a huge extreme here. And I was so happy with how that panel turned out. Um, so the David Spade stuff is, yeah, that's great. Um, that, that it, I, I see where you're coming from. I, but I, I would say that I kind of lucked into that. One thing, my one note to Peter uh, about Manchild is I want him to wear like this really oversized clothing. Yes. Like, like t-shirts that are yes. two or three sizes too big. Yeah. These giant balloon-like shorts so that when he grows into like the, the Hulk-like figure, it fits. Yes. So his clothes don't fit like 99% of the time, which I think makes him look even smaller. In fact, he's yeah. wearing these like baggy clothes that only really fit when he turns into like the Hulk-like creature. Yeah, and the one thing that I added to that was when he turns, so I thought, oh, this is great. You know, all these big baggy clothes and everything. Well, what can I contribute to this visually? And I thought, okay, he's going to be wearing socks with sandals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the fashion, you know, the... Uh, middle-aged guy, fashion faux pas, and um, the socks will always stretch, so he won't yeah. be barefooted, but the sandals are gonna explode, so he's gonna go through a ton of sandals. <laughs> um, okay, one last one I'm gonna add character. So super villain, super villain Emperor King, how did you guys come up with that? Or I, well, <laughs> Um, I wanted to create a villain that kind of represents all those rich super scientist villains, uh-huh. but then take, take the super scientist part out. <laughs> so he's just, a, you know, he's going to have to pay people to make his torture trap essentially mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, he's kind of, in a way he's like the ultimate jealous guy. Yeah. Right. He's mm-hmm. jealous of all these amazing people that exist in this universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's aliens on his planet. There's, 
there's uh, successful vigilantes like the chandelier. There's people that can turn into Hulk-like creatures. Um, there's time travelers. You know, there's there's all kinds of things in this world. And he's just a rich guy mm-hmm. who has a giant ego and wants people paying attention to him and wants to be important. But it's hard with all these fantastic characters around him, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of who Emperor King is. You know, he's... He's that side of any of us who's like, well, why can't I play? Yeah. Yep. Super rich, mm-hmm. spoiled, mm-hmm. jealous, and with a bad haircut. And that's where I came from. <laughs> you can you can make your own you know opinions about who that might be in our world. That was the inspiration for me when I was drawing. So. Um, I have to say the the name Emperor King. I love it because it just encompasses all the super yeah you know, because it's right it's always someone that wants to conquer the world it's all like you said right someone who's always you know scientifically smart you know because i keep thinking of dr doom lex luther but i, I it just emperor king just encapsulates it captures you know this is what a superhero a super villain's name should be you know <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you and it's a it's a joke, too, yeah. because his name is Drew King, right? So it's his actual surname, and he's just stuck emperor on the front <laughs> of it. <laughs> I'm sorry, because I didn't catch the Drew, that King was his surname. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, this is going to be an off-the-question, uh, off-the-cuff question, um, because I, I'm going back to Mark and, you know, Bryce, I know you, you you've read, you, you read Crack, so... Was Crack Man Magazine were these, and, and I know it's a loving, the comic series, because I can see it, it's a love letter to old comics that we've read. Did mm-hmm. Crack or Man Magazine, did those play a little bit roles in when you guys were writing the series? And Peter, what about you for like drawing too as well? I think it some, plays somewhat of a role in pretty much everything I do because it was like sort of a, early love of mine and also you know when i when i'm writing a, a character i kind of like or writing a, a, a title I, I think to myself well what doesn't make sense about this or what is it that you know is like sort of ridiculous about this and do i want to cover it up or do i want to exploit it like do i want to like change it so this does make sense or do i want to like double down and wallow in the fact that this is ridiculous yeah one other thing is kind of my like that i love about writing my bad is it's a chance to really sort of double down and wallow in the ridiculousness of a lot of these these tropes (laughs) sort of like uh vanities (laughs) yeah uh again you know i think kind of covered the fact that i try to do it from a um straight man perspective on Mm -hmm. all of these incredibly ridiculous things the thing that kind of inspires me but there was a I believe a Mark Miller pen Swamp Thing story. And again, I'm going to bring up Kurt Swan, yeah. uh, you know, longtime Superman artist, you know, his first artist that I can remember as a kid, um, you know, going, wow, this is uh, better drawn than a lot of comics. Uh, who is this guy? But uh, Kurt, you know, with his very straight laced Superman style, did a Swamp Thing with this crazy Mark Miller uh story if I remember correctly and it just completely blew me away mm-hmm. just you know that again playing against this outlandish script with this very straightforward art style and I, I, I thought wow this is really effective so some somewhere in the back of my mind and you know I just logged that and uh, and that's when I again what I'm trying to do with uh, the ridiculous ridiculousness of uh, some of these characters. Now, um, before I continue on, um, I just want to let listeners know, and I'm going to ask another off-the-cuff question, um, because my bad, there is, um, now correct me, if, you know, um, there's three short stories in there. And I'm going to ask, does it, does, do they start tying in together in, into the last issue, into issue number five? Because it seems like there's an inner, you know, there's like some type of, con, you know, thread going through them or connectivity. Yes. There's a there's there are details that will, that will be relevant in both stories. And then yeah, both stories sort of collide mm-hmm. uh, in issue five in the finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so there's a plan. <laughs> 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 yeah. No. It's it's we're it. 
One of the nice things about the book, I think that Mark and I both really enjoy as writers is that we can kind of play our own playgrounds, but you know, there's a larger playground that we're both playing in, right? Mm -hmm. There's a larger thing that we're both working toward, but we get to kind of play and, and it just sort of was a lucky thing that it turned out that way because as, as Peter brought up, uh, this was originally a backup. So mm -hmm. when we started to expand, Oh, sorry, Bryce kind of froze up. Okay. It, well, how are we going to expand it? And so, it, uh oh, you're buffering a little. Okay. So should I leave and come back? Oh, no, you're, you're fine. No, right you're fine right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was just saying that it was, it, it kind of ended up being a nice thing that we get to do these little separate stories and it happened because it started out as a backup mm -hmm. and then expanded into this book. But I think the formats really, really works for the title. Yeah. And because the other thing, because when I was, you know, coming up the question and so forth, I was really thinking about, again, Bryce, like you said, it's a love letter. You know, it's a love for comics because I remember, you know, when we were growing, you know, and I'm going to say, we're probably almost the same age, you know, I'm in my late, I'm in my mid fifties, you know, because I remember, you know, those dollar size detect, you know, Batman or, you know, the dollar size super family comics, detective mm -hmm. comics, they had all short stories in there, you know, and mm -hmm. then it was always like, you know, to be continued next month. And then you had to go and buy the next one or, um, when, um, I believe when action comics, hit 600 now correct me if i'm wrong i think like from 601 to 630 yeah. or something they, they were doing weekly comics action comics weekly right absolutely you know yeah. and i was like oh my god it, this kind of feels like that you know? that's yeah and particularly in the little three pagers that that peter and i did i we were i was really trying to kind of evoke some of that feeling of of those old short stories that you know mm -hmm like spotlighted one character maybe from the justice league or something that you didn't get to see as much yeah. and that you were kind of excited. Oh, there's a, you know, a red tornado story or, or whatever the case may be. Okay. So um, I'm going to ask character designs. I, I know I put this question more for Peter, but I'm going to, whoever wants to jump in, like who came up with the character designs? You know I mean? We talked about the chandelier. We talked about man child. What about um, emperor King and the accelerator? You know, did you guys get, I'm just going to, pass this over to Peter because um, one of the great joys of working on this book is that Peter comes up with these amazing character designs. So that's all Peter. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm going to say, I mean, Bryce, let's say rush, rush hour. Bryce had a lot of ideas about rush hour. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's the one that kind of um, did the little riff about, well, he should be wearing like uh, clothing, like highway workers would wear, you know, the, the bright, oranges or the neon greens or the reflective silver that from an artist's perspective you go okay he's you know the writer is giving me something to kind of riff on here those are invaluable as as far as that goes um you know uh to you know describe you know how you come up with these characters all the time is kind of like asking a writer where he gets his ideas i think uh it's it's something out there in the um and the ether somehow that you, when you start scribbling, you're refining, you're refining, you're refining. And, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, I at least got in the area with the initial thing, but it was great having the feedback back and forth. And, and Kelly has definitely contributed our colorist. Mm -hmm. um, I have given her some suggestions as far as colors, but, you know, I, I told her that, uh, you know, I will defer to her as far as, you know, the coloring on, on characters if, it, if she has a strong idea about certain things. So it, it's, yes, the, the artist will mm -hmm. do a bulk of it, but you know, it's, it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you mentioned Kelly, the colorist you gave her, gave her a shout out. Is there anyone, for any of you guys, is there anyone else you guys want to give a shout out on the, you know, as who else contributed to the comic? Well, I think I want to give a shout out to Tom Pyre because he's kind of the one who initially had the idea to turn this into a series, mm -hmm. uh, the, the editor. And uh, he's been also really generous in letting us sort of throw out all the normal extras they put in, uh, the house ads, and sort of take over the extras as well. So we can turn it into like sort of its own comic, literally its own comic book universe, uh, where it has ads for things that don't exist 
or you know little, little fruit pie yes, ads yes. that you would see in the the old spinner rack comics starring the characters of this series you know I, and so it, it i've never had this experience before working a comic where a um editor was willing to give you like complete creative control not only over your story but over everything that appears in the comic absolutely i'm gonna give it you know i would not be working for a wife if it wasn't for tom so that's uh you know, I, I knew him um, back in the DC days, um, but, uh, you know, he's the one who's uh, gotten me you know, roped into this, uh, this crazy company and uh, doing all these fun uh, projects. And so, yeah, and Tom's just been great. He knows, you know, he know he, it's the ideal of, you know, hire people you know are going to do a good job and let them go wild. <laughs> And he, he also was nice enough, I asked him, would you be willing to do a Stan soapbox kind of thing for yes. the book? And he, Tom's amazing at that. His Tom's toolbox is really hilarious. Um, because I, I love it. Um, Mark, when you said about the biggest price, like you said, the Tom's toolbox is like, that's the first thing I remember was, you know, Stan soapbox. <laughs> Mark, when you mentioned about the um, the 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 hostess um pies, you know um ads, I remember those, and those are great. <laughs> I you know, and then um, and then you, and then the other thing um, like I said, those are really great um, um. They're really fun. It's really fun to do those, uh, you know, those fake ads and stuff like that. Issue three, we've got a Saturday morning cartoon one. And, um, and Joe Orsack, that's another name. He's, he's yeah. been drawing a lot of those extras for us. Joe's doing a really nice job. He's been doing the fruit pie ads. And, uh, yeah. Um, but you know what I also, I think it was an issue one. The one I love was there was one of those, um, it's, they had one of those, you guys had a page where it was like one of those ads where, in those old comics, you would see like, um, you know, like, like, be, you, I think there's like six ads in, I think, on that one page. Yeah. Issue the one. old toy ads page. Yeah. Of like, 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 where you, they would sell sea monkeys and uh, x ray specs and stuff. Yeah. Like, learn, learn karate and by reading a book, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Those are hilarious. I just couldn't read them without laughing. <laughs> That's that's pure Mark Russell right there. He drew those and wrote those, and they yeah, are yeah. That's my that's my debut as a comic book artist. I love it. I didn't I didn't even realize you drew those. That yeah. turtleneck one was so funny. That's that was my favorite. But I so. love the the sea monkey one where it's like the, the I think the male sea monkey's covering him. Sea is covering. Yeah, himself. they're all fig leafing. Yeah. Like their tails and stuff are sort of discreetly yeah. covering their genital areas. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. One thing classic. I noticed when I looked at like an old sea monkey ad for reference, it's like, oh, they're they really did. Some, I didn't notice it when I was a kid, but they're really doing some serious fig leaping in this uh, <laughs> sea monkey ad. I like the uh, classic, uh, the the classy dog cigarettes too. God, I can't, I, I, I can't remember. Okay, but I gotta look back through that one. <laughs> it's called like like French pet, I think. It was French pet? Yes. Uh, cigarettes for dogs. <laughs> oh, that's right. No, that's right. <laughs> oh, um, let's see. I'm going to continue on. In issue one um, by Scott Mor Morris, Bad Libs. How did you guys come up with that one? Or who came up with that? Uh, Scott did. They? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Tom, Tom thought it was a nice fit for my bad, which we agreed. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that just sort of was a piece that Tom added to the puzzle. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Because. <laughs> oh, now yeah, it's, the, it's a lot of fun. Off the cuff, did Tom show you guys this, and did you guys start to play along? Like, you guys put your hands <laughs> on, you know. Yeah, you, you kind of want to fill in, right? You kind of yeah. want to. I have. I'm torn because you know I, I've I've always been scared to write in my comic books. I wanted to keep them nice, but <laughs> it's really tempting. <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, um, let's see. Um, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna ask this, um, because it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun doing this book. You guys really did. What was, you know, what was the most funniest or best thing 
that you, know, you guys came up with or just, you know, like not only whether it's a creative idea or if it's just you guys sitting down during a Zoom meeting, telling jokes or going, remember, we used to, remember reading this comic and we can't, or, you know, just the, the friendship and just, just going back and forth, talking story type deal. What was the best thing about doing the comic? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the process because we were writing each 10 pages at a time. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of back and forth showing each other the 10 pages that we've written. And it's really sort of a liberating process for me because I'm not responsible for the whole story and I got something to sort of play off of. Yes. And also, you know, you sort of, when you get in that sort of back and forth, you sort of egg each other on. You create something that's sort of bigger than what either of you would have created alone. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's with Mark. Um, yeah, we, we maybe have a cocktail sometimes when we're doing that and, uh, and have some laughs. And, uh, and then, like I said earlier, you know, not just seeing the character designs, but seeing Peter's pages. Um, I'm still new enough in this industry that it's very exciting for me when I get to see Peter's work. And it's always exciting and, and surprising, but just what the book needs. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know it's a little bit generic, but I, I just seeing the pages is a lot of fun. Yeah, it always it never gets old, uh, especially when you're working with someone like Peter, it, mm -hmm. when you just know it's it's going to be good, and you're not like you don't have that like undertone of dread that you do sometimes. You're like, oh boy, is this going to go off the rails? Uh, where you're confident it's going to be good, it's always fun. It's always Christmas morning when you get artwork. Mm -hmm. For for instance, there's a there's a character that is going to debut in issue five that Peter recently was sending us his character designs for. And I'm, I started laughing out loud when I saw him, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. The book is, is, is fun to read, hopefully, but it's definitely fun to make. Oh, you guys are really sweet. Can you, can you guys just uh, give me uh, Zoom calls every uh, week? Kind of <laughs> here? Well, um, we can afford I, to be because we don't have any, we don't, we're not paying you. So we can, <laughs> we can afford to do whatever we want. Yeah, I have to admit that I still have, I'm still working on five. Five is really the culmination. I mean, I'm glad we've got long deadlines. I, I've been goofing off way too much this month, so uh, I got to crack the whip. But um, I'm really taking my time to, I want to nail the landing on this. We've got a lot going on at the, you know, with the final issue. Um, and uh, I want to make it work really, really well. It's um, to have these things all come together. I think, I think, you know, the readers will be, you know, very happy with, uh, um, you know, the, the way the, the last issue works. You'll obviously see the love and the, um, the amount of uh, uh, work that goes into it because, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. And that's the other thing about this book. I think, you know, there, there's sometimes as an artist, the writer gives you a lot and the artist works as a certain kind of editor. And, you, and with, with this book, I want to give everything there and throw in little things of my, I think that's part of the DNA of this book is the, you know, little puns, the, you know, the little asides, the backgrounds, all that sort of stuff. There, there's a lot going on. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's goofy fun. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Did you guys drive each other crazy by saying my bad while working on this book? Like, you know, like Mark would go, hey, Peter, um, you know, um, King, you know, Chandelier, he's got too much stuff. And Peter would go, oh, my bad. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm naturally unapologetic. So I, I never had to say it myself. I, I've, it's made me notice how often people say my bad. And, um, and I'm kind of just treating every time I hear someone say my bad as a mention of our book. There we go. <laughs> I, like, I like that attitude. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to, I know I don't, one question I wanted to ask you guys. Um, did you guys have any other, besides, you know, coming down with My Bad as the title, did you guys have any other titles you guys are playing around with? Yeah, we had a bunch. I'll let Bryce go through them. But, but yeah, my, my Bad was the first title that Bryce came up with. And then we went through a bunch of them and then just decided, well, I, the, My Bad was just sort of the purest most distinctive distillation of what we are doing, but I'll, I'll let him talk about the, uh, the other titles. Yeah, there were, yeah, we did talk about a lot of different titles um, and the important new superhero universe, which it says on the, 
the uh, cover of the first issue and maybe the second issue. Uh, that was one of the titles that we talked about. Poor decisions, poor life decisions might have been another one. Um, unfortunate adventures. <laughs> but I think my bad, um, Tom Pyre, you know, made the point that that was a pretty sticky title. And, and like I said, you know, it's something people say all the time. Yeah. And shockingly, no one's used it in a move for a title of a movie or a TV show or a book or anything that I know of. So we'll take it. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's <laughs> a very good point. Yeah, it works on, on a couple of different levels. It's a double entendre for the story about, you know, mm -hmm. my, yeah. my, my evil counterpart. And also, you know, these are people who are deeply flawed and make tons of mistakes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Another question. And I'm joking on this part. We talked about a salad maker. Now, among you guys, you know, have any of you guys ever got a salad maker as a birthday present? <laughs> I bought my wife a salad shooter. Before or after you start working? I was already aware of her identity, so <laughs> after this story. I have not, um, although when I used to play a lot of basketball, that was my basketball nickname, was the salad shooter. Oh, I, yeah, I remember. That's because he yeah. took really easy shots. He, uh, he would get like inch, get like an inch away from the hoop, and then he'd just do a quick jumper. So we call him the salad shooter. I thought it might be because he was money whenever he <laughs> the ball. He was Green, pretty money. Salad shooter. I mean, <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, um, favorite convention moments as a either as a fan or as a creator. Oh man, I have. Uh, I don't know. If this is my favorite. This is just the one that are, that's seared into my memory as a you know kind of a moment of humiliation. Oh. Uh, but I was at like a table. It was like one of the very first signings I did mm -hmm. when I was you know working with DC. Uh, they put me at a table. It was the first time I went to, I think it was the first time I went to San Diego Comic-Con as like a DC creator. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was sitting at a table ready to do a signing of Flintstones had just come out. And there was like this huge swell of people, like about a hundred people waiting uh, for the autographs. And I thought, wow, this is really taking off. You know, it, it, but it turned out like uh, I was sitting next to Gerard Way. Oh. Um, and, and so like the DC handler came over and said, Oh, we created a special line for you. And I was like, okay, thanks. So they, they created this little sideline for me and like uh, they opened up the, the lines and like three people came into my line and I, I signed them, you know, I was done signing in like 30 seconds and then everybody else was there to get Gerard way to sign like a bobblehead or to sign like a copy of umbrella Academy or one of his, my chemical romance albums. And I was just sitting there like I was a security or thing, you know, like, oh. <laughs> it was, it was just, like, humiliating. I was just sitting there, you know, I, I felt like I should have offered him a water, uh, and it was just like uh it's one of those memories where it's just like uh and i think that's a sort of like what the sort of spirit that imbues like my bad sort of like the proximity to competence <laughs> proximity proximity to fame <laughs> oh man go ahead bryce <laughs> uh you know I'm going to just say that as a fan, the first time I went to San Diego Comic-Con was kind of, it kind of blew my mind as, as someone who'd been reading comic books all my life and didn't go to Comic-Con until I was 40. Um, seeing all those people that love comic books and all that cosplay all together in one place, like a little city of comic book people um, was like kind of, an amazing emotional experience for somebody who'd been reading comics and hanging out in comic book shops his whole life. Yeah, I, if you're asking a favorite moment, boy, um, hard to distinguish, really. I mean, I, I, I agree with Bryce. I mean, that first time you go to a, like a major show, mm -hmm. um, first time that I went to San Diego Con, and that's when, you know, as a, you know, relatively, um, older guy. At that point, I was in my uh, late twenties, and uh, my wife and I had gotten married. She was pretty well established in her career, and I said, "You know, there's something I always wanted to do." And I quit my other job with the idea of, of you know, somehow becoming a comic book artist. So, um, 
going to those initial shows like uh, San Diego Con when it was still in downtown San Diego and you could walk right up to someone like uh, Mobius or Archie Goodwin and there would be no lines. Um, It's insane to even think about now with the way that show has grown. Um, as As a pro, um, yes, I've had some of those Mark Russell experiences, but uh, when you're next to I don't want them to become known as Mark Russell experiences. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you better edit that out, too. Um, uh, but uh, I think some of the things is like, again, when we, uh, getting to meet some of the people just by going to those shows and getting your foot into the business, the people that I grew up and getting introduced to, whether it's Kurt Swan or Gil Kane or Archie Goodwin, um, once went out to dinner with uh, Mike Carlin and Denny O'Neill and Archie Goodwin. And I, I can't remember a damn thing about what we talked about, but I was just kind of like in awe the whole night. So, uh, you know, those type of things are just, you know, it's it brings out the, the fan kid in me that, um, wow, these are real people. And... I, you know, Bernie writes and I got introduced to Bernie and, and uh, yeah, it's just like, as a, you know, as a fan, you're just kind of blown away. So it's to be just in that, you know, in that universe to some extent, whether it's on the periphery or whatever, and, and finding someone like that and they accept you just, uh, oh yeah, you're, you know, you're part of the, part of the, this bigger world. It's, you know, it's it's really really cool. It's um, those are the the things that really stick with me. Um, I'm gonna slowly start wrapping things up. This question is for Mark and Bryce. Have you and your family been to Hawaii? No, it's I'm ashamed to say it, but I've never been to Hawaii before. But I'd love to go. Yeah. Um... I used to say that New York City was the place that I hadn't been that I wanted to go the most, and I've been there. And so I think now the place in the United States that I want to visit the most is is Hawaii. So hopefully soon. Peter, how was how was your trip to Maui? Well, it was great. That this is the second time uh, I've been there. In fact, I went for the first time in 2019, right before the pandemic. So uh, it was a a family trip. uh, um, The first time around, uh, my wife and her siblings, her mom had just passed and they'd inherited some money and they just said, you know, let's honor uh, my mother-in-law, their mom. Let's just take all the kids. Um, And uh, it was magical. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, there was an instigation from the, the family again to, to do it this time. Um, uh, we were staying on, you know, West Maui. Uh, mm-hmm. My, uh, my kids have done the, all done the road all the way to Hana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're North of uh, Black Rock on the kind of, poly, you know, kind of poly area. And we walk into, was it Honokawai? Um, to go into town there. So we got to go to some of the, the local hangouts. Uh, it's, it's just, it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It's what a incredible, incredible part of the world. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Religious experience, really. Yeah. I'm going to say, um, because I live in Oahu, um, to me, I think to really just see the real, the real beauty of the islands is you would have to go to the outer islands, like, because Maui, you know, because, Oahu is basically another urban city, you know, but Maui is incredible. Kauai, the big island. So, yeah. So. Yeah. I hear nothing but great things about Kauai. So it's, uh, um, yeah, it's, but uh, wow. It's mm-hmm. for a kid who grew up in the Midwest and we never took long vacations mm-hmm. uh, to go to, I, I couldn't even imagine ever going to uh, a place like that. It's magical. Mm-hmm. All right, final question for all of you guys. Any last words to our listeners? Well, I just, I think if you, if you have ever enjoyed superhero comic books, I think you probably will get a kick out of my bad, so give it a chance. 
Yeah, all the stories in my bed are really short. So if you've got a short attention span or you're not sure you're going to enjoy it, just, just read one of them. If you don't like it, yeah, probably the you're not going to like the rest. If you, if you want to have some fun and actually read a book that might make you giggle out loud, I think, I think you'll enjoy my bad. All right. So Mark, Bryce, and Peter, you know, I want to wish you guys all the success with the comic book series, My Bad. Um, listeners, if you guys get a chance, you know, um, the first two issues are out. The um, third issue is going to be coming out on January 12th. Please check it out. Um, you know, um, uh, Mark, Bryce, and Peter, you know, mahalo. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to interview all of you. Thank you very much. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, Jason. This is a lot of fun. No, thank you very much. Thank you, yeah. Jason. No, thank you. Very thank you, Jason. It was it was it was a really good time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I also want to thank Hannah Super Super Fan Promotions for help setting up this interview. So, Hannah, thank you very much. So, um, if you are a new reader or a lifelong reader, please check out you know the comic book series My Bad. Like I've already said, the first two issues are out in stores already. Unit you know, issue three is going to come out in um, on January twelfth. I want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener to the show, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And finally, I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. <laughs>